Previously on Rediscovering Don Bowles, a murder journalist. The Funks seemed frustrated that they couldn't get the newspapers to cover the dog racing industry. He was never fair with them at all. Finally, in 1969, there were stories about dog racing, the ones written by Bowles. Brad Funk thought the stories were not just about journalism. He saw a conspiracy. The newspaper was out to get him. John, you're getting into an area there that, you know, that we, I mean, we've been through this one before. There's no point knowing full well the way you might write something up and then and say anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometime in early September, the editors of the Republic made a decision. They decided that the allegations of wiretapping deserved a public airing. This was going to be a newspaper story. Bowles couldn't write it, he was part of it. So editors assigned it to Frasca. Why don't you look into George Johnson? I have, you know, uh, memos on this man. Uh, let me see if I understand you, because actually I wouldn't want enlightenment on that point. Yeah, well, I'm just telling you, be uh, careful in dealing with this man. At least that's my judgment. Maybe Johnson was telling the truth, but Frasca thought it wasn't solid enough to go within the newspaper. Not yet. Meanwhile, Bull started having doubts of his own. And I always thought it curious that a, a big shot like him would want to work on a, a piddly paper. About his co-worker. On Sunday, September 13, 1970, the Arizona Republic published a story that said reporter Don Bowles and Congressman Sam Steiger had been wiretapped by the Funk family. And they weren't coy about it either. There were a lot of clues that the Republic thought it was an important story. It ran on a Sunday, the day with the largest readership. It was front page, with a headline that ran all the way across. The story started with this sentence. A former dog track investigator has charged that the telephones of an Arizona congressman the state racing commission chairman, and others, including a newspaper reporter, were tapped. The story went on to say that a man named George Johnson freely admitted hiring the wiretappers, and that his story was being investigated by both the FBI and the Maricopa County Attorney's Office. The story was written by Bulls' reporting partner, Dom Frasca. You heard from him in the last episode. Yes, Dom Frasker of the Arizona Republic. Tom Frasker? Dom Frasker, F-R-A-S-C-A Frasker. Although Frasker wrote the story, he had grave doubts about it. He doubted Johnson's credibility. And he wasn't alone in that. Okay, uh, but another thing, Don, off the record. Okay. Uh, George was in the building business, and I've known him for a long time, and I knew he was, uh, well, uh, just off the record. Yes. My brother and I have been scared of him for a long time. Mm. Plus, there were major holes with Johnson's story. There were no recordings of wiretapped conversations. Little evidence existed at all outside of Johnson's word. I'm Richard Rellis, and this is Rediscovering Don Bowles, a murder journalist. The paper's choice to run the story with only a single source demonstrates one thing the editor's trust in Don Bowles' instincts as a reporter. Although he didn't write the story, he was instrumental in uncovering the facts around it. And it made sense that Bowles would push for the story. 
The wiretap allegations left him feeling violated. They'd gone past attacking him as a journalist. They went into his home. And Bowles worked hard to keep his private life private. His widow, Rosalie, offered this explanation. I think he thought he could handle everything himself. Bowles got sympathetic calls in response to the story about him being wiretapped. The man in this call was never identified, but he must have been the subject of a Bowles story or two in the past, given his comment. Uh, I know you wouldn't give me the sweat off of your balls if I were dying of thirst, but... Yes, the, I would. Well, but the, why do you say that? Well, I think the newspaper's always been kind of hard on me, but... Uh, Still, this man said that he considered Bowles honest. Well, he used a cruder phrase. But I'm not hard on you, and I think you're an honest son of a bitch. Well, thank you. So, when you get a chance, when, no, that's certainly true. And even if you had, I'd still not see anybody piss on you. Bowles also got a phone call about the story from Johnson. I didn't wake you up. No, I'm up. I see we all made the front page. Yeah, how about that? Isn't that quite a story? <laughs> Johnson had various gripes about the story, some more minor than others. If, if it ever comes again... Please contact me and let me give a decent picture like you guys gave. Oh, okay. Fine. Johnson told Bowles he was worried how he came across. He seemed like a rat, an informer who turned on his former friends. Johnson was worried his kids would get teased at school because of it. Well, no, I just, uh, you know, I just, I was just going to have my uh, ex-wife take my kids and take them to California and put them in school because this would kill them. Bowles tried his best to assuage Johnson. Oh, no. It doesn't make you out looking like a bad guy. No, really. I think it makes you looking like a very good guy. Okay, maybe I'm just a little super sensitive. Yeah, I, I think you're looking at it from the wrong way. You, you ask some friends what they think of how it looks, and they're going to say, by God, uh, uh, this guy's uh, doing, you know, going to the authorities, doing the right thing. Uh, uh, he, you know, I think very definitely it, uh, it gives you a good... Uh, a good reputation there. Bowles kept trying to persuade Johnson to continue speaking with authorities, to tell them what he knew. Johnson was willing to help, but he knew that he would be admitting to a possible crime. He wanted an immunity deal before saying anything. Hey, but listen, uh, I understand you were with the county attorney yesterday. What what all happened on that? You know, uh, he, uh, he said that we'd have to give him the whole thing and then he'd have to see about giving us immunity. Mm-hmm. And, oh, so, uh, so you didn't give him the name of the wiretapper and all that yesterday? No, because... Uh, Bulls felt wronged. He wanted justice, but getting it would be complicated. Everything rested on this one man, George Johnson. But Johnson's tarnished credibility and his determination to get immunity stood in Bulls's way. Bowles and Frasca were also starting to get calls about George Johnson. People who had dealt with him in the past were warning the two not to trust him. I knew that, Johnson. Mm. My, uh, he, he's no good either, but who else, else could they get? But right. Like that. Was he down there when you were there? No, no. No, mm -hmm. I knew him through my former wife about uh, six or eight years ago, and he's a no good son of a bitch. Yeah. Still, Bowles stuck by him. Yeah, well, you know, he's no saint, uh, but uh, he's telling the truth on this, though. Bowles also talked to the U.S. attorney and the county attorney about Johnson. 
Bowles told the U.S. attorney that he feared for Johnson's safety. He didn't want Johnson to be killed for being a rat. Yeah, I just, I just have a little fear that, that somebody may get to Johnson, either physically or otherwise. Bowles told the county attorney that he was getting calls from people about Johnson. Off the record, uh, we sure are getting calls on what an unreliable, uh, no good Nick character uh, Johnson is. But uh, of course, you know, uh, we we had his police record beforehand, and uh, the the kind of guy that would do these things uh, is is not going to be an uh, uh, Eagle Scout. But the story Frasca wrote about the wiretaps wasn't the only coverage of the Funks that week. The Republic wasn't done with them yet. The Republic published a follow-up story on Monday. It was written by Bowles. That second piece was also based on tape phone calls provided by Johnson. They're a bit hard to hear today, but here's what you need to know about them. These recordings were made by Brad Funk as he talked to racing commissioners. That's perfectly legal in Arizona because we're what's known as a one-party consent state. It's okay to tape a phone call so long as one person knows. What was on these recordings sounded shady to Bulls. Racing commissioners were talking about an upcoming hearing with the Funks, saying how they would feed the Funks questions in advance, that the whole hearing was just for show. That story followed the path Bulls had been on for months. He had tried to show corruption in the racing industry, Now he had the tapes that showed it. And he was eager to print a story that exposed the cozy relationship between the regulators and the racetracks. But he was also shaken about what had happened to him personally while doing so. People had heard his phone calls. People had gone through his bank accounts. At least that's what he believed. Bowles was worried what else they might do to come after him. At some point, Bowles started worrying about his own safety. Bowles got a call from a guy named Paul Rademacher, an official in the state Democratic Party. Rademacher told Bowles that the Funks had called him seeking dirt on Bowles. So you went down to Greyhound Park, and then what they say? They wanted to know about you. Like what? Uh, you know, if I knew anything about you, I said no. Rademacher told Bowles about something unusual he saw outside the Republic building. It made him realize that Bowles was scared. And the thing that got me is one day I drove by the newspaper and you had your car parked across the street on 2nd the 2nd Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you were looking at your tires and looking around your car. Mm. And just the way you're looking at it, you know, I had been in there sometime before that. I knew you were spooked. Bowles told Rademacher that what he saw wasn't unusual. He always took a peek under his car. Well, as a matter of routine, I always check to see if anybody's been fiddling with it because, uh, you know, I know what I'm up against. Bowles never told his wife, Rosalie, about this routine. No, I know he took certain precautions. Um, I didn't know this, but I found out later that he always checked the car. When he was at home, Bowles would talk about being angry at the Funks, but he didn't talk about feeling endangered. He didn't want his wife to worry. When we traveled to South Carolina to meet her, Rosalie said her husband didn't ask her to change her own routines. Because he didn't want it to be part of our lives. That's not what we were about. And 
he he took care of it. He wanted to. He told me he would handle everything. But there was another threat growing against bulls, at least in his mind. And this one was coming from inside the newsroom. Dom Frasca, the reporter who wrote the story about the wiretapping, the one who had grave doubts about it, he continued to have doubts. And they continued to grow. Frasca still thought it was a mistake that the paper ran the story about the wiretapping allegations. And the days that passed made him regret it even more. Not only did he doubt George Johnson's credibility, he thought the newspaper let Congressman Sam Steiger have a free shot at the funks. The story as it is now, you see, any of Steiger's opponents or anyone who feels he's running for re-election could say, ah, it's a lot of baloney, it's a political stunt. Frasca also knew there were whispers about Steiger being on the take from Vegas mobsters. He thought it would only be fair for the paper to spend some time examining those rumors. Frasca's concern was so great that he just didn't dwell on these thoughts. He typed them up in a memo and made copies. He made sure the top editors and Bulls saw it. It's not entirely clear what Bulls thought of Frasca's memo, but the memo would play a significant role in Bulls' story. It's fair to say that Bulls and Frasca had a professional relationship that was complicated. They had just met months ago. Bulls seemed eager to work alongside someone who had experience reporting on the mob, but the tussle over publishing the wiretapping story strained their relationship, to the point where Bulls wondered whether Frasca's reservations were rooted in more than a journalist's dedication to the truth. As we said in the last episode, Bulls had heard rumors about Frasca, wild ones, rumors that he might have mob ties. He passed the rumors on to his city editor, Tom Sanford. Sanford said he would investigate them, and a few weeks later, he wrote what he found in a memo and sent it to Bulls. Sanford wrote that he investigated and couldn't prove that Frasca had any mob ties. Bowles wrote Sanford back, saying he was relieved. Bowles also wrote that after reading Sanford's report on Frasca, he had destroyed it. Because of that, we don't know what the memo said, but we do know what happened. Frasca was no longer Bowles' reporting partner. He was taken off the organized crime series. With Frasca's wiretap story and Bowles' story on corruption at the Racing Commission done, the paper shifted its focus back towards a long-term project on the mob. Even though Frasca was off the organized crime series, the Republic still kept Bowles on it. Bowles would work on the mafia investigation alone. The paper gave it the title, The Menace Within, and started promoting it while Bowles was still reporting and writing it. There were ads in the newspaper dropping salacious hints about what he was uncovering. The in-house ads, as they're called in the industry, said that Bulls would name names. The series would identify people who had possible ties to organized crime. This didn't go unnoticed. Bulls started getting calls from people about the ads, including one from George Johnson. I saw the ad in the paper this morning, so I guess you've been pretty busy. Yeah. At one point, Bulls wanted to talk to a man named Anthony J. Nikolai. He was a sports agent. Bulls suspected him of having mafia ties. Bulls and Frasca had already interviewed Nikolai together, 
but Bowles wanted a follow-up, and that interview would take place in the office of Nikolai's attorney, Harry Cavanaugh. One, two, three, testing, one, two, three. You starting? Yes. I haven't had a chance to meet with you before on this matter because I was in trial when this came up earlier, but I would like to find out some specific answers to some questions. Number one, I'd like to know the purpose of the interview and the, the inquiry. Well, the purpose of the interview today is... Kavanaugh was among the leading attorneys in the city at the time. He asked Bowles if Frasca would be joining them. We are in an investigative stage uh, to determine whether or not a, an article about Mr. Nikolai and his sports activities will be published. Okay, so that, that's our concern. Last time I understand, Mr. Frasco was <clears throat> was present. I wasn't here now. He's the one who uh, originally called me out. He was the wrong person. Where is he today? He's <clears throat> on other assignments. He's not on this assignment. Not presently. And then Kavanaugh dropped a hammer. He said he didn't think Bulls could be trusted to write about the mafia. He said that Nikolai would talk to anyone at the Republic except Bulls. He said that Bulls was too close to the story. And I'm very concerned that uh, you are questioning Mr. Nikolai for the purpose of putting information into this article, The Menace Within. And uh, it has come to my attention, uh, Mr. Bowles, that uh, you are less than completely objective about this matter of mafia, Cosa Nostra. And I'm afraid that, uh, that we have reason to question the your willingness or ability to be completely fair, impartial, honest, and a man writing with integrity. Kavanaugh said he had proof that Bowles was too close to the story, and that, if needed, he would err. And as far as we are concerned, we would, uh, we would prefer to give our information to any representative of the paper who would uh, be fair, impartial, look at it uh, without uh, a jaundiced eye, which I'm afraid we think you have. And I think mm-hmm. that if we have to, we can show you why. We well, really you're can. entitled to your opinion. I assure you that I intend to be fair. And that was pretty much the end of the interview. The next conversation on the tape is pretty muddy, but given that it is on the tape immediately following that conversation with Kavanaugh, it could be related. It's with George Johnson, and he asked Bull something like, do you know what he's got? Bull says he doesn't. I have no idea. I really don't. We also have no idea what information Kavanaugh had. Whatever he was claiming to know never became clear. All Bowles knew was that one of the leading attorneys in town had threatened to smear him with dirt. This was in addition to the funk spreading rumors that he was on the take from Vegas mobsters. The funks detailed those rumors in a letter to Bowles' editors. We couldn't find a copy of the funks letter, but here's Bowles' reaction to it. He was talking about it with George Johnson. It's not a laughing matter to me. You know, I'm investigating organized crime, and they say, uh, well, Bowles is in with him. Well, of course, that's going to that's gonna destroy my reputation. I wouldn't have anything to do with those people. But the threats against his reputation and the rumors that he was connected with the Vegas mob didn't stop Bowles from pursuing his story. The Republic continued to promote the menace within. Bowles even got calls from readers looking forward to it. I saw quite a clip in the paper that you're coming out on Mafia. Yeah. 
You betcha. You haven't got me in that, have you? No, sir. <laughs> you won't either, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, there's an awful lot of worried people around town. I'll bet you. When I read that the other day, I just said, I'll bet you there's a bunch of sweat pouring off of some brows this morning. <laughs> the Republic had promised a major series. Bowles was determined to deliver, despite the threats to his safety and reputation. The Menace Within ran on the front page over the course of 10 days. It had strong allegations. Bowles said a leading political figure was trying to open a brothel in Arizona, although he didn't name that person. He suggested the owner of a coffee shop chain, Hobo Joe's, had mob ties. And yes, he suggested Kavanaugh's client, that sports agent, Anthony Nikolai, also had mob ties. Bowles received a lot of phone calls reacting to the series. Some were critical, most were complimentary. And in talking to readers, you can hear how much Bowles invested himself in this series. It mattered to him. You know, my, my feeling is, uh, uh, as I've gone through this study of organized crime here, the businessmen know a hell of a lot what's going on. And their attitude is, well, don't get me involved. Well, the only way we're going to turn this thing back and turn it around is for the businessmen who do know something to say what they know. But they do not speak up, and if they find anything, you rub their shoulder with it. They shy away from it. They don't realize how it came in here, what it did to our city, and we've got a beautiful little city. I know it. I love it, and I want to see it stay that way. The last article in Bowles' series was pretty much a plea to readers to stay vigilant against mob influence. A version of, if you see something, say something. One caller reacting to the mob series was worried about Bowles' safety. Well, yeah. listen, uh, I hope that they don't rub you. <laughs> nah, they wouldn't dare. They wouldn't dare. <laughs> nah, they frame you. You know, they, they'll set me up on something or other and mm-hmm. claim that I'm running prostitutes or something. Oh, sure. They'll think of something. Oh, sure they will. But here's the thing about the Menace Within series. Though it named some names, it didn't really expose many mafia ties. It exposed the possibility of mafia ties. It warned about the possibility of corruption. Bowles was stamping out embers. He was hunting down any hint of corruption. But the city was actually pretty clean. Here's Bill Meek, a Republic reporter who worked alongside Bowles. I never did feel that the criminal element in Phoenix was a very big deal. Uh, They weren't very good at it. They were rich, mostly, and didn't have to do crime in order to get along. I mean, it was sort of, I was not a big fan of uh, of the paper's estimates, efforts to, uh, to bring organized crime to heel. The Attorney General's office started a task force in response to the series. The goal of the task force was to uncover organized crime's reach in the city. It used the menace within as a blueprint. And what it found was there really wasn't much. Here's Patrick McGroder. He's an attorney in Phoenix who was on that team. Um, But yeah, we, we, we didn't find that type of historic organized crime that one relates to the East Coast. We, we just didn't find it. Bulls was overzealous. And he was fine with that. He wanted to stamp out those embers. 
because he had no mercy when it came to any amount of corruption. It's the type of reporter he was, almost to a fault. Bowles wasn't interested in understanding or excuses. He was out to expose corruption. He didn't want to cause harm to people who didn't deserve it, but he balanced that with a need to keep people honest. Here's Bowles talking to a judge about it. The judge was feeding a tip to Bowles, but worried about Bowles' accusatory style. John, if you think of any uh, more things around town uh, that you feel ought to be looked into, like this one, please give us a call. We're really going very strongly into this uh, right now. We think it's uh, very definitely in the public interest to uh, expose these guys because they are really moving in strong. So if you pick up anything that you think, uh, you know, you're not going to say who they are, but you're dubious about them, why give us a buzz. Well, I always have mixed emotions about your exposés because there's no protection built into them for the for the innocent. <laughs> well, uh, we try not to involve the innocent. Yeah, yeah, well, that's... that's try not to involve the innocent, meaning no guarantees. It was a style of reporting that played well with his editors and his publisher, but if you were a subject of his reporting, you didn't like it. Bowles could seem unreasonable. That's how the Funks felt. They thought they couldn't get a fair shake from Bowles. Here's Funk complaining about Bowles to Dom Frasca. I, I had some fair play from Don Bowles last year. That uh, yeah, well, I know. I mean, uh, that I got. And, you and know. I've got to be a little dubious, uh, yeah, well, judging from experience. You know, once burned, it's uh, mm. your fault. Twice burned, it's my fault. And uh, well, I don't know. It's just the way yeah. I've seen Bowles edit stories and edit statements. And they come out meaning something altogether different. So yeah, well, that I've never done in my life. Uh, I mean, so the Funks wanted to fight back. They didn't like the story that accused them of tapping Bowles' phone. They admitted to hiring Johnson to look into Bowles. What they denied was any illegal activity. They said they never wanted Bowles wiretapped or his bank account examined. They said George Johnson was lying about that. The Funks made the next move. They filed a lawsuit. The lawsuit alleged that they'd been wronged by the story that said they'd wiretapped Bowles. The Funks sued the newspaper but they also filed suit against Bowles personally, and they named his wife for good measure. The price they wanted? $20 million. Meanwhile, the criminal investigation seemed to be stalling out. Law enforcement was skeptical of Johnson. At least they were wary enough of him that no one offered him an immunity deal to find out if he knew more. Uh, well, uh, maybe they're just playing it kind of cute. Maybe it's best because the way it is right now, I can just refuse to answer anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, but, uh, tell the truth, you know. Yeah, no, but I mean, uh, see if, if they'd already granted that immunity. And there seemed to be little public pressure that would prompt officials to act. People were talking about the menace within, but no one seemed to care much that the reporter who wrote it might have had his phone wiretapped. So here was the state of Don Bowles at this time. He was a tenacious reporter on the hunt against injustice. But he also felt a deep injustice had been committed against him personally. He'd been under attack. He felt his wife and family had been under attack. He was even making it a habit to routinely check under his car. And people were spreading rumors about his professional reputation. 
there was whatever Kavanaugh had threatened him with, saying he had information that Bowles was too close to the mafia, and the Funks and Emprise were claiming he was on the take by Steiger or Las Vegas gambling interests. They sent a letter outlining those claims to state lawmakers. They also sent it to the bosses at the newspaper. Scheifetz, by the way, sent another letter to my managing editor repeating that baloney about uh, uh, me being hired by Steiger to, to write the anti-racing uh, anti, uh, uh, story. And now he was facing financial ruin from a lawsuit. Bowles wanted justice, and to get it, he would have to take matters into his own hands. Next time on Rediscovering Don Bowles a murder journalist. Bulls kept hearing from law enforcement that charges were just around the corner. After all, tapping his phone was a violation of the law. But Bulls was getting impatient with the pace of events. He wanted to go on the offensive. But I think it's about time that, well, let me just ask you your advice on this. I just like to take the offensive against these pricks. In this case, there was a highly damaging document. Remember that memo we told you about? We told you that memo would play a key role. And here's where it would come back. Rediscovering Don Bowles, a murder journalist, was reported and voiced by me, Richard Rellis. Taylor Seeley is the lead producer. Katie O'Connell is the executive producer. Script supervision came from news editor Sean McKinnon and news director Josh Susong. Web design for this project came from John Paul McDonald. Social media was led by Danielle Woodward with help from Grace Palmieri. Special thanks to Kayla White, Maritza Dominguez, and Will Flanagan for their support. Kim Bowie provided research assistance. John Adams is our senior director for storytelling and innovation. Greg Burton is our executive editor. This episode included audio segments from the Arizona Memories of the 70s DVD by Arizona PBS. It also included archival audio from CBS News and KTVKTV Channel 3.